Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. This is episode 332 of the show, and I am your host, Jessica Morehouse. Welcome back to the show. And goodness, uh, we only have a few more episodes. This is the second to last episode for season 14 of the show. And uh, by the time this is out, we will have surpassed, you guys, we will have surpassed seven years of the show, seven year anniversary. Is that an unlucky number? Isn't there something unlucky with the number seven? let's pretend like there isn't. (laughs) Let's pretend like it's a a good thing. I don't know. I'm pretty stoked because this just means I'm only like three years away from hitting 10 years as a podcaster, which is wild. That doesn't even make sense to me. And somehow I made this into a career for myself. And that's pretty darn cool. Pretty darn cool. But you know what else is cool? My two, you know, new guests for this episode. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have Kirsten and Julian Saunders on the show and big fans of them myself. And they have a new book coming out. So you're going to love this episode. So Julian and Kirsten are the couple behind the award-winning blog, Rich and Regular. And the forthcoming book, which is out very soon, June 14th, uh, Cashing Out, Win the Wealth Game by Walking Away. And they are all also the producers of the award-winning video series Money on the Table and hosts of the Rich and Regular podcast. And they're both based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and they are on a mission to inspire better conversations about money. And, and you'll learn this uh, in the episodes, but they have a pretty amazing story. So they, you know, used basically, you know, frugal living, real estate, stock market investing, and running their own online business on the side of their careers to build wealth and ultimately achieve uh, financial independence. And they were also able to pay off 200000 dollars in debt in only five years and have been uh, featured in some huge media outlets like the New York Times, Forbes, CBS This Morning, Market Watch, and the Oprah Winfrey Network. And when they're not sharing stories about their experiences with money, well, they are parents to their son, Bo, and like to travel the world and search for their next great meal. So we've got lots of great stuff to talk about. And also, spoiler, I will be giving away a copy of their book, So Many Books I'm Giving Away, and I'll share more details at the end of this episode. But uh, before we get to that interview with Julian and Kirsten, here's just a few words about today's podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is sponsored by TD Direct Investing. Every June, TD Direct Investing celebrates Options Education Month with the goal of helping investors learn more about options trading. Throughout the month, they are hosting a number of free virtual events for beginner and intermediate investors alike. Want to learn about some of the things people wish they knew before they began or build on some of the knowledge you may already have on options? Visit td.com slash options education month to register for one of the many live webinars TD Direct Investing will be hosting. Or if you're more interested in getting an introduction to options in the first place, there are a number of on-demand video lessons available too. To learn more and to check out the list of free events, just visit jessicamorehouse.com slash options. Once again, to find out what webinars, masterclasses, and on-demand video lessons are available to view for free, just visit jessicamorehouse.com options. Welcome, Julian and Kirsten, to the More Money Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for having us. We're super excited to talk to you. Yeah, and I'm super excited to discuss your uh, book, Cashing Out, Win the Wealth Game by Walking Away. As I kind of uh, mentioned to you before I hit the record button, I've read, I mean, if I probably counted, 
probably over 100 personal finance books. It's one of the you know, great things and also curses of having a podcast where I interview uh, authors all the time, got to read their books. And I've read a lot of, uh, you know, things that I've read before. I mean, again, usually I'm not the audience for lots of these books. They're for people that are just learning this stuff. But I was really pleasantly surprised that your book had so much stuff that I feel like a lot of books don't really uh, get in depth about uh, really important things. So I'm so excited to really dive in. But before, uh, tell me a little bit about yourselves. Tell me a little bit about your journey to how you, you know, discovered kind of the the world of fire and financial independence, how that kind of inspired you to then, you know, do what you're doing now, which is inspiring a lot of people to to take on their own financial independence journeys. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to answer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hi, everyone. We're Kirsten and Julian. We live in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, we have been kind of immersed in the FIRE personal finance community for roughly the last 10 years. We actually met, we're married, and we actually met at work and started dating very quickly. And our first financial conversation was actually our first financial argument and subsequent breakup. And so we learned- Did you break up after that argument? You mentioned that in the book. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was done. (laughs) (laughs) I was done. Were you the one who broke it off or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. Oh, goodness. (laughs) And maybe we'll get into the details of that story. But the point is we learned the value of money conversations very early. And so as we were dating and- paying off debt and eventually getting married, we were just trying to figure out what the best path for our financial journey was going to be. And Julian was actually the one that found um, the FIRE community and this kind of aspect of personal finance. And originally, I was completely against it. I thought it was too extreme. I didn't understand the point. I had not confronted the data associated with wage growth and career limitations, any of that stuff. And so finally, I came around after finding the right content creators and the right mix of real life examples. And that inspired us to start to tell our own story, to expand the audience of this kind of content to more African-Americans and people of color. And we started Rich and Regular in 2017 just to document our family's journey to financial independence. Couple of jobs, a kid, a house since then, and we're we're, we're still talking about it. It's just kind of expanded to podcast and uh, digital series, and now this book, Cashing Out. Wow. I mean, you've made some progress in the last five years. Like, that's uh, like, because that's when uh, 2017 was also a pivotal year for me. I um, went from, because I'd always had a blog and a, a podcast, but that's when I quit my corporate job and, you know, did this on my own full time. And Man, and, but I had like five years of build up to that point, and that mm-hmm. was like so for you to start in 2017 and be where you are today, like that's huge strides. Um, I'm curious, like what I guess was your kind of vision when you're like we're gonna start this? Like, was it just like oh we'll just you know document you know what we're going to do and see if anyone enjoys it, or was this maybe also um, a step in your financial journey? Like maybe one day this will then you know, give us enough passive income that we can leave our jobs or, 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 you know, what was kind of the idea behind it? Um, <clears throat> I think a big part of it was really just kind of to Kirsten's point, looking at a wider set of data. So obviously we were looking at 
some of the stories and personalities and things that we'd heard uh, from other people who were bloggers and content creators. But we were also looking at that against what we knew to be true about uh, the experiences of black people in in the United States, really around the world, but for the most part, what we were experiencing in the United States. And then adding in like a third layer, because apparently that wasn't enough. We were like, well, as marketers, um, we were frustrated by by the problem that we were experiencing with sharing some of the content that we were we were uh, consuming. Like we'd find these things and we would be just completely sucked in and drawn. And was like, oh my gosh, have you seen this? Like, have you heard about this guy? Have you heard about this woman? Some of the things that they're able to do in such a remarkable short period of time. They're retiring early, and we shared with people, and it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. And so on a personal level, that was very frustrating. But as people who were at the time working in business development and sales and marketing, we were like, what is the problem? This is actually a marketing problem. Here is a set of solutions and a lifestyle that we know can help a significant number of people, but it's just not breaking through. And so we kind of tackled it that way. And one of the biggest insights we learned was just like how important it is for people to see themselves in the stories that they're reading. And so if you think about the smash success of Black Panther for a reason. It wasn't just because the story itself uh, is just really, really cool and there were tons of like effects. It was because there was so much pent-up demand and people who just never saw themselves in superhero movies. They could never identify with the characters or the superhero or even the villain in some cases. And so we realized that this is actually a really interesting thing. And so if we were to create some content, we're not going to do it like any of the people who are creating content. We're not going to focus on data or overwhelming people with math because that didn't work, quite honestly. What did work was really creative and compelling and in some cases, heartbreaking stories that forced people to confront what they already knew to be true but we're actually afraid to talk about. And we're still dealing with that now and trying to get people to think about this book and some of the tackles that we're trying, I'm sorry, and some of the problems that we're asking people to tackle. And so all of those things combined are really what motivated us to create not just, or write this book, but to create all of the content that we've created and to deliver it in the way that we've delivered it over the last couple of years. Absolutely. I feel like one thing that really resonated with me was when you did share those really personal stories um, that even though I am, you know, obviously white and have a very different experience as you, I, I do have some experience with discrimination being a woman in the workplace. And a lot of the stories that you shared about, you know, toxic workplaces and not being able to get to that next level in your career and being passed over by, uh, you know, for promotions when someone less experienced or less skilled than you somehow gets the VP job and you're like, what's happened? Like, oh my gosh, literally happened to me my whole career until I became self-employed and then I can kind of dictate, um, you know, where I could fly basically. I feel like so many people will be able to resonate with those stories and also do something about it because like, I think the frustrating thing or, or where people get frustrated is, understanding that this is happening and then feel like, well, there's nothing I could do. This is beyond my control. It's a bigger problem, so much bigger than me. I'm just not going to try. And your whole point is this exists. This is the reality that we live in. It is unfair. It's going to take a while for us to ever have uh, pure, like actual equality. 
But there is still something that we can do because giving up isn't going to help anybody. And so I, I, I that's what really got me like excited, uh, you know, because sometimes I'm, you know, I've got my feelings about fire because there's there's a lot there's a spectrum, yeah. right? There's people that are mm -hmm. super extreme. Um, I like kind of more the middle ground, the balance. And I feel like that's kind of what you talk more about. It's not about living on beans and rice for 15 years and then you then you can live your life and enjoy yourself it's really about creating a system so you can enjoy the now but also prepare for the future and i think so many people need to do that because you know like you like yourselves and you know what i used to think and so many other people think is you know i'll just work really hard and then eventually i'll get promoted and get those raises and then i'll be able to achieve all the things that i thought i'd be able to achieve based off looking at you know my parents or, or what other people were able to achieve and you know i got to a certain point where you know when i turned 30 i'm like yeah it's i worked my butt off and i'm still nowhere close to where <laughs> i should be and that's a you know big reason why you know i definitely did some different things when it uh, comes to my personal finances so so with that, you know, saying all of this, what are some um, things that you want people to be aware of? Like, let's talk a little bit about some of those data points. Like, what are some, you know, things that, you know, women, people of color, people that are, um, you know, a minority have to deal with that will, you know, they will um, kind of see these struggles and what can they do actionably today to make sure they have a better future and not be stuck in this kind of, well, I'm never going to move up. Yeah, uh, thank you for saying that. First of all, it means a lot. We we obviously wrote the book with Black professionals and people of color in mind, but we've gotten so many letters and feedback from white people, white women, white men who have said like, "Yo, this resonated with me too." And it's like, "Yeah, we know. <laughs> like, I know that this problem is not unique to to the Black community. It's just that we might feel it more frequently or at a wider, you know, on a wider scale." But it means a lot that a lot of people outside of our intended audience are able to relate and resonate with our work. But I think the the thing that you that you bring up is that you know we've reached this really interesting point in history where the tried and true career and money advice just didn't work or isn't working anymore. Most Americans are drastically unprepared for retirement and can't imagine a world without work, which is a really sad place to be socially, right? Like the point of our one life here is not to spend it at work. 80% of the time. And whether you are at physically work or just thinking about work or recovering from work, it still matters. It still robs your friends and your family. And if you have children, your children from understanding and knowing who your full self is. We also know that money is the leading cause of stress among Americans and the leading cause of divorce and separation. And both of those things have financial implications. Stress is called the silent killer for a reason. It creates a lot of internal illnesses and diseases and, and challenges for people. And then when you talk about divorce and separation, it's expensive. Like we know that life as a dual income household gives you certain benefits, both from a tax standpoint and from a emotional and financial standpoint. And then the last part, which is kind of where we challenge corporations is about the wage gap. There is a stubborn and growing wage gap between men and women. And then when you add a racial demographic perspective on there, it just gets bigger. And so the idea of thinking that you can work your way out of this issue, knowing that you're paid, you know, 30, sometimes 40% less than a white male counterpart is counterintuitive. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And somebody has to be the person 
to say that. And who better to say that? Who is in a better position to say that than people who are outside of the system? That's always been how change has happened. It's always the outsiders who are kind of bringing this up and mentioning it, whether it's another country looking at America and saying, that's weird that you guys don't offer maternity and paternity leave. Kind of weird that you guys pay so much for healthcare. It's always kind of been an outsider's perspective, which is why I think we were uniquely suited to bring up some of these issues. Yeah, we didn't get too much into it in the book, but that's certainly one of my core motivations, or I would say my own, one of several wake-up calls that I had was confronting um, what work or the impact that work would have on my ability to be the t- the kind of father that I wanted to be. Um, and, and I have to admit my own ignorance because as proud of my career and career trajectory as I was, it really wasn't until I, I had a child that I even thought about paternity leave and the impact that that had, not just on, again, my ability to build a bond with, or relationship with my son uh, in literally the, the, the coming, the, the first days of his life, but also just the fact that um, I wanted to be there to support Kirsten. Um, and I wouldn't ha- be able to do that without using vacation time and personal time. And then on top of that, I was only fortunate uh, to have worked with a manager who was also a recent father and had that same issue. And under the table, he gifted me a week where he was like, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm not even going to say anything to HR, but you can have this week. Just kind of keep your phone on you just in case, you know, we somebody needs something that only you can answer. But somebody did it for me and now I'm doing it for you. Right. And so aside, whether we're looking at this from a racial lens, from a from a gender lens or even just I think the broadest lens is this this imbalance of power between employees and employers and the impact that that has on our ability to raise a family, I think is probably the biggest issue that everyone uh, and anyone, whether you have children or not, can likely identify with. And I think it's the underlying reason why I think some of the things that we're talking about in the book should lead people to reconsider the way that they think about their money and the way that they're planning their careers. Absolutely. Like I, I don't have kids, but I will say one thing that I always felt really restricting. And it was one of the reasons that was like, this is the last straw I'm leaving my last corporate job before going off on my own is um, my time wasn't my own. And like just a short story, I, you know, hadn't been on a vacation in like three years. Finally, me and my husband, you know, for my 30th birthday, went to Paris, bucket list trip. And I was contacted in Paris from work about a work issue because they couldn't reach so and so whatever. And I'm like, really? The one week I'm gone in Paris, you're asking me to log in and do this work. I I can't. And I think a lot of people have that experience, whereas like maybe they have to be somewhere to take care of a loved one and they can't get the time off work. And so the time really isn't your own. And I feel like you talk a lot about how, you know, I think some people just think about building wealth and financial independence is, oh, I'll have more money for stuff. It's like, no, you have more money for time and to have choices and to get out of maybe a situation or a job that just isn't fulfilling or just is crushing your soul. Or you want to have, you know, take a break and start a family. And a lot of us just don't have that opportunity. And, you know, you talk a lot about the book too, whereas a lot of people, I think, think that, okay, the answer is earning more money. And yes, obviously earning more money is always a great thing. It's, uh, it's always a helper, but 
there's so many people I know. I mean, I used to work for a law firm my last job and these people were making tons of money and sometimes they wouldn't be able to pay their phone bill because yep. they spend every single dollar. Yep. <laughs> and so it's it's not just about how much you earn, it's about what you do with your money. Do you want to kind of talk a little bit about why it is so critical? Like that is kind of the basis for how to then combat all this inequality um, and, and dealing with maybe a workplace that is, you know, kind of taking up all of your time. It's like setting up a system so you can then kind of take back the power and utilize your money so it will kind of, you know, I guess give you more freedom in the future. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And there's actually an acronym to describe this idea of high earners who don't have excess cash. It's called Henry, high earner, not rich yet. And it's this new demographic that people are studying to try to understand what it is. And also brands are studying <laughs> to learn how to market to people who can afford luxury goods, can afford a $600 suitcase because of the way that it's marketed, despite the fact that it works the exact same as the, you know, $75 a, suitcase. A plastic yeah. bag? A plastic bag. I know, it's a plastic bag. <laughs> right. It's a hard but plastic somehow, bag with wheels. Yeah, just know that if you are a high earner, like they are studying you and figuring out like what you react to because they know you have disposable income and that you don't have a plan for it. And so in our book, we actually teach this um, framework called the purpose of income. It's very early in, in the book to try to break up what a brain on consumerism, like how it behaves. And the point is that in a world where you're exposed to eight to 10,000 on the low end ads a day, advertisements a day, other people coming in your head telling you how to spend your money, you have to give your income a purpose or somebody else will. And it's as simple as thinking like, okay, the initial purpose of my income is for security. And we walk through what that means. And then the second purpose of my income is flexibility, meaning, okay, now you have the flexibility to upgrade a few of those things, right? Doesn't mean that you buy the best of them, but you can get a car that has like automatic locks or, you know, an apartment that has a view and a balcony, whatever that is for you. But this is unfortunately in America where a lot of people get stuck. They keep continuously upgrading. They go from the toaster that just toasts bread to the toaster that is cordless, to the toaster that now has Bluetooth, to the toaster that now <laughs> is touchscreen, right? And so now you've got a freaking $250 toaster when the original one worked perfectly fine. So we go on to explain the limits of the flexibility purpose and how you can get caught in that. And then the next purpose is independence, what a lot of us know as financial independence. But even that still has limitations. There are lots of people who have reached financial independence mathematically, but still have one more year syndrome, meaning they just keep going to work every single day. They keep hoping that they'll reach a number that magically convinces them to quit. And so the final purpose of your money is freedom, is to buy your freedom. It's And that's more of a feeling. You can assign a number to it if you want to. But it's more of a, a feeling because freedom is one of those things that's never given. It's taken. And so you have to decide, I am at the point where I am financially free. I have opted out of systems that do not care about me, that cannot love me back, that do not pay me equitably. And I'm willing to see how I survive and live outside of this system that has historically been known to be oppressive to marginalized people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I was looking at yeah. him because I was yeah, like, is like, he about to jump to in? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I was honestly thinking about the $600 air fryer that um, <laughs> there was an ad for a $600 air fryer that, that hit $600 my social $600 air fryer? What yeah, the hell is it doing? cutting edge air fryer. It's cutting edge, man. It's like- <laughs> It's it going to air fry. It can do things. Everything. 
everything that other <laughs> air fryers can't do apparently but yeah mm-hmm. it was you know it but but again to, to kirsten's point i i i'm joking but i'm serious because i was actually targeted <laughs> for this thing um but i also think that so much of this speaks to because i'm far more interested in studying american culture than i am finances quite honestly like a lot of the work that we do lives at the intersection of both of those things and a lot of this really speaks to just this optimism that i don't think a lot of americans have actually i don't don't believe americans identify as being wildly optimistic Mm -hmm. but we are and and it reveals itself in the way that we approach work we always believe that things are going to be great that we will always be safe that we will not have to worry about some of the scary things that we see on the news, that the things that we've seen happening in the Middle East could never happen here. Um, And financially, it's the same thing. We believe that we will always be employed at the same level, if not more, right? We don't imagine worlds where we will be physically ill, where we might be stuck in this, what I call, you know, I almost call it a death sandwich, right? But, you know, you earn another dollar and now you've got to figure out what am I going to do with this dollar? I'm going to use some of this on myself to for self-care or just to help repair my relationship with my wife and try to build some memories with my child. Or am I going to do that and pay it back? Because my parents actually suffered quite a great deal to help get me to where I am and I owe it to them. And I'm a insert last name and that means something and there's this again cultural sort of legacy layer to it or am i gonna do the right thing in my head and invest that money because i understand that this uh every dollar that i have today can turn into five or ten dollars later on um and and again it goes back to the type of content and stories that we really wanted to tell and i understand that it is to some people um, or I should say, I understand that some people completely disagree with what I'm getting ready to say, but I don't believe that these are issues that have anything or much of anything to do with financial literacy. Many of the people that we talk to, they already know what to do. You can hear it in the framing up of the question, right? What they're asking you is they don't know which of the solutions to do because they've been bombarded with marketing. I don't know if I should be investing in index funds or if I should be buying real estate or which is both or should I be buying a home right now or should I be paying off? They don't know which one to do. They know all the things to do. Many of us, right? It's not a matter of like you haven't read the right book or taken the right course. It's that we subscribe to a set of cultural beliefs that overshadow what we already know to be true. Mm. And so when we wanted to tackle that problem, it was about saying, how do we cut through that noise and create a message that is sharp enough to do that, but also sticky enough so that I'm going to ask you to take that old story that you've been telling yourself about how to get ahead, go to school, buy a car, work harder to get a great job, and replace it with a new set of stories with people that are relatable. Not the 10 to 20, 50 million dollar. Sure, those are great examples that you can look at on the shelf, but you will never be those people. Let's just be honest. What you can be is what we call rich and regular. And I'm not saying that to say you can be like me, but you can be this idea of you can be that millionaire next door. That is achievable. And so we share our own stories. We share the stories of others with that sort of thinking in mind. Yeah, no, and I think that's what, you know, draws so many people to you guys, but also myself. I love the term rich and regular because I've never, I've always wanted to have financial security and comfort and independence, but I don't actually want to be like a millionaire, air quotes there, 
who you see like a Kardashian who just has all this disposable income and yes. just like is buying designer. I'm like, I have no desire for that lifestyle. That sounds like a lot of work. Yep. I actually just want to chill and be able to read a book on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> you know, like I have very basic, like not exciting desires and fantasies. It's about coming what back though. Like <laughs> yeah. if TikTok is so. any indicator, the desire for that kind of life is coming back. That's why all the you know, young er young kids are kind of dressing like dads right now. And like, there's a whole aesthetic around, they call it normcore, right? You can Google it oh, to see it? what it looks like, but it's, it's like the return of normalcy because I think people have realized that like our celebrity worship culture and our ultra rich, you know, our admiration of the ultra rich is actually the thing that is accelerating climate change and adding to, to wealth inequality and some of the problems that we're fighting for through jobs, like jobs is our only kind of weapon of choice, <laughs> are created by the things that we choose to pay attention to. And so there's been like this push for more of just like normal class. It's like the middle class is finally fighting back with the thing that we know we can control, which is media, right? Which is through user generated content, which is just through kind of public shaming <laughs> excessive displays of <laughs> extreme wealth. And so like being rich and regular is actually, I think, the modern day ambition for wealthy nations, right? It's something that most people can achieve without exploiting certain working classes and 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 just taking advantage of labor loopholes. Like it's just something that we can all kind of strive for. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like when you think about, yeah, like those ultra rich people, it's like that is unattainable, unattainable for most unattainable. people. Yeah. And that's fine. Because you know what? I mean, I, I've done, you know, some research. Uh, and those people aren't happier. No, they, they're you not. Know, just because you have more money does not like, uh, no offense, Elon Musk doesn't seem happy. No. Otherwise, why would he buy Twitter? You why know? would he buy Twitter? Why would he buy it? Like a happy person won't go and do what he just did and try no. to buy Twitter like that. Like he needs some friends or a hobby. Um, so being ultra wealthy, I do, isn't, it shouldn't be like the, the ultimate goal, but you, you said this term and I'm like, I love this. I've never heard it before, but the term stealth wealth. I'm like, yes, the whole, like I, I love knowing that most of the people who would see me on the street would be like, she, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't wear makeup. I just yeah. wear regular clothes. I don't look like anything special. They probably have, you're just like, oh, she's just like, whatever. But I'm like, secretly, I'm a millionaire and you have no clue about and it. No and clue. I love that secret millionaire <laughs> stealth wealth. Like, it makes me so excited inside. Like me and my husband always talk about like, oh, should we get a new car? He's had his car for like a decade. It's rusting. It is a hatchback Hyundai that he got when he was like in his 20s. I'm like, it's been paid off for years. I'm like, nah, let's just run this into the ground. Because I love that people will never break into this car because it looks like a piece of crap. There's so <laughs> there's much good in peace. Here. There's so much peace. So Kirsten comes from a long line of car lovers, right? Yeah. Um, mm. and, and, and then unfortunately, it's it's my son's DNA has a little bit of that. Oh, yeah. I read that in the book. Um, he has like a whole garage of cars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to scrub it out as, as much as I can, but he, he knows brands. He's five years oh, old. Yeah. He knows oh, a Tesla. Sounds oh, he knows like, a Tesla uh -oh. when he sees it. He knows yeah. a Mustang when he sees it. Um, but um, but yeah, like when we met, I, I drove a, a rickety Honda Accord. I loved it. No, when you, um, we met, you were still driving that Camry. Okay, well, it was, it was a, a true hoopty. It yeah. was a beat up Camry. Got smashed on the side. <laughs> the uh, the fuel tanker was. But to me, like I now when I see that. Right. To your point, 
it is such a very clear indicator. Like I see that person and I can just look in them in the eye. Some, sometimes you can tell like, no, they're not part of the stealth wealth community, but I can, <laughs> you know, if I look over and I'm in traffic and I look over and it's like a little, it's a, it's a wink. It was like, oh, I get it, buddy. I, I know who you are. Kudos to you. Right. Because there's a, to me, there's a sense of peace, right? Like I can park anywhere. I don't really have to worry about someone dinging my car. Um, and and I, like, also, I won't notice. <laughs> There's another ding. A collector item. <laughs> that has happened to me. It was like, because my mother got in the car at one point and she was like, oh, look at this ding. And I was like, I don't, I genuinely don't know when that may have happened <laughs> or which one that is. Which one are you talking about? Right. <laughs> so no, but I, I just think that, you know, even just that juxtaposed against what we know our money can do in the stock market, um, the problems that we can solve. And, you know, quite honestly, like I'm not, I don't consider myself, you know, uh, morally superior to people who like nice things. I love nice things. I love to travel, but I, it, it's really just about making sure that I'm applying that um, in the times and the moments and in the things that really, really matter to me. Like I'm not buying the buffet or the bundle of life, you know, right. because that is not designed for me to end up in a very fruitful and happy place. It's really being strategic, being a la carte, if you will, about the things that matter to me, um, which aren't just a collection of things and experiences. It's also about helping other people, solving what we call thousand dollar problems in our community every single day or as often as we want to so that we can actually just sleep good mm -hmm. and sleep well at night knowing that we've got a really um morally aligned um financial plan that that just makes us feel good yeah absolutely and and you know speaking of community you do have a big section on um finding your community you kind of share some interesting stories I'm like oh i've been there before where you're so <laughs> passionate about something you learn like you know financial independence and you can't stop talking about it to your friends and your family they're like yeah 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 i don't care or i don't want to talk to you about money because it's just gonna <laughs> be a whole long you know lecture um it's so important. That's what I found. It's like I had to find my community of other money nerds that wanted to talk about this and wanted to share their experiences and their thoughts and knowledge. And I think that's so important. It's like sometimes you do have to look outside of your current um, circle for those people who are, you know, the same values, the same um, goals and dreams that you want to do. Do you want to kind of talk about why it's so important? No matter whether you want to do FIRE or not, it's so important to kind of find that community. Who, like I even say this for like, if you're paying off debt, find a debt community so you don't feel alone because yes. money can seem really lonely oh, if yes. you feel if you don't have anyone to talk to about it besides like your partner or something. And believe me, I still talk to my partner, you know, my husband about money, but I need a group of other people that I yes. can talk to this, about this stuff with. Yeah, it's it's been... Um, it's been one of the more surprising kind of benefits of, of taking this path because I think we're so used and accustomed to our friends and family being like the number one supporters in our lives. We almost feel like you're doing something wrong if they don't completely buy in. Particularly if you're a woman, you're conditioned to need other people's permission and validation your whole life, right? Even as a little girl, you hear messages about needing permission, validation to be liked and celebrated and applauded. And so when I entered into this financial kind of journey into this space, I expected the same thing. I would share my goals. I would talk about who I could become. I could say, oh my God, by the time, you know, tell my mom, like, by the time I'm your age, I'll have X million dollars and I'll just be like super, you know, rich and free. And 
surprisingly, the the response was that it was kind of tacky and not possible. And yeah, I doubt it. You just haven't lived long enough. Like, yeah, let's see what you say after you have kids or whatever, you know, whatever people bring, whatever their baggage is. And so we encourage people to to go back to the same skill sets we had in elementary school. And I get it. That might have been a traumatic time for some people. (laughs) But like, (laughs) go back to those skill sets of like when you had to meet other people to make the experience worth it, to make going into a place, you know, meaningful and find your people. Come for the content for sure. Like join, find content creators who create wonderful content, but then stay for the community actually leave your computer, find regular people who are just talking about their situations, learn from them and apply it to yourself. It's like downgrading your financial heroes. <laughs> like, And I don't mean that as a negative thing, but like not having these gurus and actually just applying your knowledge and your goals to a larger set of people has so many benefits. We actually stumbled upon a, a piece of research while we were writing that talked about imposter syndrome and how it's actually, it can be magnified when you're talking to friends and family versus when you're talking to complete strangers, which I thought was like completely wild, but also validated a lot of my experiences. And so there's just something to be said, like it's it's a, it's a matter of like opening yourself up to, to surprises. If I had learned, if I had known that some of my best money friends who have now become actual friends would be like suburban rural white families from Florida. Like I just would have (laughs) never saw that for myself, but it's real. Like we keep up with each other. We check on each other's children. We send each other, you know, things that our kids have grown out of. We have little retreats and virtual happy hours. It's just been an amazing benefit side effect that a lot of people don't talk about that. There's a chance that you actually haven't met your best friends yet. Right. We think, we think we met them in college or whatever kind of community you grow up on, but like with the internet, it's a chance you actually haven't met them yet. So, so set yourself up for success and tilt the odds in your favor that you actually meet the person who's exactly who you need. The only thing I would add to that is, <clears throat> as you were talking, I was just thinking about like what actually brings people together, and and quite honestly, it's 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 our shared misery. Right? <laughs> um, and I think I think what you learn um, in that chapter, or what we're hoping people walk away with in that chapter, is to recognize like to what degree a sense of shared misery that you have with your family and your friends is in part what's keeping you together. So if you come together every single time so that we can all complain about our jobs, so that we can all complain about how cousin expensive Lucy. it is to own a home or how, you know, the, the cousin or the friend in the family that's creating all these problems. And it's like, you know what? You can actually create relationships with people <laughs> that actually aren't rooted in misery. Yeah. Like it's shared values. It's a, it's, it sounds so weird, but it's like a different way of thinking about relationships, right? Um, a or, healthier or, or way. friendships, yeah. right? Um, where you put aside all of these other things, which, again, I, I'm not saying it's easy, but like, I, I, I'm actually not interested in your political affiliations or any of those things, but we actually agree on these things and it's enough for me to say, you know what, we can exchange ideas, we can spend time together, we can even travel together in some cases, we can learn from one another um, and, and build a community and have a positive effect on that community. And I think that there's something to that. And so, you know, I, I think you can write this in the in the book, but it's about teaching adults how to make adult friends. Right. Because I think so a lot of us and so have completely forgotten <laughs> have how forgotten. to do that. And I think yeah. the pandemic has actually made it even worse. Right. Yeah. So it's about yeah. showing it's people. I haven't seen people like physically 
for a long time. Like it's yeah. just yeah. starting to happen now. And yeah, it's, it's, that was one of the hardest things that I had to learn, you know, especially when I, you know, grew up in Vancouver, moved to Toronto when I was about 26, I had to make new friends from scratch because I didn't know anyone. It was so difficult, mm-hmm. but then like you kind of talk about, it can lead you to some really deep and lasting connections with people that, yeah, you wouldn't have met otherwise because you're putting yourself out there and you're also looking for specific um, kind of, you know, people in niches that have, uh, you know, the same values or or dreams as you. Whereas, you know, most of the friends that you grew up with, it's because you just became friends because of proximity, (laughs) quite Mm -hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah, I, I yeah I can agree more. I really love that section that you kind of brought that to everyone's attention because yeah, especially since we're all we're still in this kind of not fully normal, you know, uh, pandemic world. It's it's so important. I think that's the one thing that so many people realize is like, wow, it can be really lonely. Um, you know, either learning about something new or just you know having to quarantine and and realize have a really good think about who are who is in my circle and. Are they supportive? Are they lifting me up? Are they adding value to my life? And I need to make sure that, yeah, I, I'm part of a group that makes me feel good instead of maybe always, yeah, talking about yeah. miseries. Yeah. And and how is my circle just a default, you know, consequence or effect of where I grew up or what school I was zoned in or like, have I actually been intentional in finding a support system? And I think a lot of us are confronting the idea, especially here in America, where, so much of where you live determines who you meet, right? Mm -hmm. Like it determines what schools, what teachers, what knowledge you have access to, what free resources, what public What you believe is possible. And what you believe is possible. And so it really becomes an intentional act to kind of take stock and say, I don't want to leave these people behind. We're not suggesting that you just like completely ignore your friends and family, but saying like what's missing from the dish. It's like tasting a soup and being like, I can use a salt and pepper like it could use a little jalapeno it could use it could use a little something and there's nothing wrong with that I think there's a collective um kind of feeling that we're all going through where we're starting to realize probably because of the echo chambers of social media that like I need some new (laughs) I need some new perspective I am tired of the same thing every day it's very groundhog day and like I'm over (laughs) it yeah yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so much good stuff in your book. I can't say uh, how much I really loved it. And again, you know how many books I've read. And Thank I really, you. really think this is a, a book that people need to read. Where can people find more information about you and grab a copy of your book? Yeah, so you can visit our website at richandregular.com. We're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube primarily. I think there's a Pinterest page floating around there somewhere. (laughs) I know. I've got one of those too. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) We'll revisit it at some point. Apologies to any of our Pinterest followers. (laughs) All Um, 12 of (laughs) y'all. Yeah. The the book is is available uh, wherever books are sold. I've learned for most people that means Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million, uh, Hudson, and a few other places. Uh, we're trying our best to get it in as many small and independent bookstores as possible. Uh, we will get there eventually, but um, it's it shouldn't be too difficult to find. Just Google cashing out and um and our names. <laughs> Yeah. Otherwise, you might get a rapper <laughs> or a casino. <laughs> you will. You will. 
We're, we're fighting for that SEO. Yeah. <laughs> Help us out. Well, I'm trying. I read your book. I rated it on Goodreads so it could get up in the oh, Goodreads. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually really, oh, that was the one thing, like before I let you go, why did you name your book Cashing Out? Because I feel like when I think of the term, I think of your, you know, playing poker and you're like, all right, I'm cashing out. I'm going to get out. What does that mean to you? it's similar it's the idea of knowing when you're winning and if you stay at that table if you stay on this treadmill or this hamster wheel the likelihood that you turn out okay is is slim to none right based on the examples that we've seen so it's just this idea of taking your power back and treating it like a game that you can win and knowing when you're winning like cash out when when you're up Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Uh, can't wait for other people to check out your new book. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Thank you so much. And that was episode 332 with Kirsten and Julian Saunders from Rich and Regular. You can find more information about them at richandregular.com. And also make sure to follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Rich and Regular. And of course, you can find them uh, on Facebook also under Rich and Regular. And they also have a YouTube channel under the same name and a podcast. So very easy to find them. I will, of course, link everything so it's very easy for you to find in the show notes for this episode. All you have to do is go to jessicamorehouse.com slash 332 to find those show notes. And if you want to find the show notes for any episode ever, you know, you just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash the number of that episode or go to jessicamorehouse.com slash podcast. Also, don't forget to grab a copy of their book, Cashing Out, Win the Wealth Game by Walking Away. And like I mentioned, I am giving away a copy of their book, which I will share details about in just a moment. Just a few words. I first want to share about today's podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is sponsored by TD Direct Investing. June is Options Education Month, and TD Direct Investing is hosting a number of free virtual events throughout the month to educate both beginners and more advanced investors about, well, their options with trading options. Or if you want a full walkthrough of options trading for beginners, there are also a number of on-demand video lessons that will walk you through what options are, common option terms such as calls and puts, and what the difference between in-the-money and out-of-the-money options are. To learn more and to find out what free events you'd like to check out, visit jessicamorehouse.com options. Once again, to find out what webinars, masterclasses, and on-demand video lessons are available to view for free, visit jessicamorehouse.com slash options. Okay, so updates, uh, updates. Okay, well, number one, um, I have now put all the books that I'm giving away that have been featured on season 14 of the show uh, on the contest page. You can find that at jessicamorehouse.com slash contest, uh, contest or contests. They both go to the same place, guys. So it doesn't matter if you add an S or not. They go to the same place. Um, and so that includes uh, Julian and Kirsten's book. But also uh, next week's uh, last, you know, the final guest of the season, I have Dan Bordelotti on the show of Canadian Couch Potato fame. He's one of my favorite guests and I have him on for a second time. And he has a book that I absolutely love called Reboot Your Portfolio. And uh, we're going to be talking all about it, and I'm giving away a copy. So I'm going to be wrapping up this contest, this mega book giveaway uh, by the end of the month, end of Ju- June, like July. 
July 1st is when I'm going to halt it, change the page so you can't enter anymore and start uh, choosing winners. And I will announce the winners on my uh, email list. So make sure to also subscribe to my email list, jessicamorehouse.com slash subscribe is where you can find that information. Also, uh, in case you haven't been to my website in uh, you know, a few weeks or so, you will see a huge change. And I'm, you know, I think I, I mentioned this in previous episodes, but it is fully up there and ready to go. I have a brand spanking new website, new images of myself and new colors, new brand, really. Uh, I mean, brand visual look, you know, it's still the same me. Nothing really has changed besides I hired some, you know, very uh, talented people to help me, you know, really hone in what my brand should look like. And I'm pretty excited about it. So uh, make sure to check it out, jessicamorehouse.com. Also, in case uh, you haven't heard this on a previous episode before, uh, I have an investing course. And, uh, you know, I always kind of find like, at least for me, if you are trying to find some spare time to learn the things you don't know about investing and actually start investing and always find it hard throughout the year, I always find summer is actually kind of the best time to, to learn a new skill. Like for me, I am always studying in the summer for some new exam or new course because I actually have a little bit more free time work-wise. So if you want to learn more about my course called Wealth Building Blueprint for Canadians, it is a course specific for uh, Canadians who want to learn how to invest in Canada because there's a lot of stuff out there that is not for us Canadians that won't go in depth like I will about account types and taxation and investment platforms, investment products, all that stuff that's actually so freaking important that uh, I, I really, you know, go really in depth in this course. You can find more details about what it encompasses uh, on the uh, course page, Jessica Morehouse slash course is where you can find all that information. Um, and if you have any questions, I mean, you could always reach out, but basically how it works is take a look. If it's kind of seems like, yeah, this is, this sounds interesting to me. You can apply if you are a good fit. You fit within kind of my criteria. We have a call and then we really see if this is a good fit for you. Cause I want to make sure that every student that enters the course is in there, will do the work and will actually get results. I don't want people basically in the course just to to buy it and then never use it. That's how is that helpful for anybody? I actually don't want your money. I, I want people that will do the work implement it and actually build their wealth. Hence the whole name and point of the course. So again, you can find all the information at jessicamorehouse.com slash course. So like I've said, we are very close to the end of season 14. And yeah, it's it's time to take a break. Seven years, man. Seven years. And by break, I'm only going to be taking, I guess, like, you know, the latter part of June off, then July, August, and I'll be back sometime in September, usually mid-September. We'll, we'll see, but most likely just mid-September. So I'm not really going away. Just we'll be off the air for a few summer months because I've got some vacation plans finally, and I'm very excited. Um, but uh, yeah, that I, I'm still going to be around. You know, you can email me. I'm going to be on, you know, sometimes Twitter, Instagram. I'm going to be doing that a little bit more because I feel like I've been uh, off it for a while, which is actually honestly quite nice. If I honestly didn't have this business that required me to be online, probably wouldn't be on Instagram. It's been nice to take a little time off from that app. Um, And I hope to make more YouTube videos. That's been uh, something I really want to focus more on. But honestly, I've been spending so many weeks and quite honestly months just uh, doing a big 
update of my investing course to make it even better and, uh, you know, just more comprehensive. So lots of good stuff in that course. Make sure to check it out. Okay, uh, that is it for me. I'm going to see you back here next Wednesday. Big shout out to my wonderful podcast editor, Matt Rideout, as always. And yeah, check back here next Wednesday for the final episode of season 14 of the More Money Podcast. But until then, have a good rest of your week, weekend. See you next week. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.